Strange Brew Podcast, Season 1, Episode 53, Easter Monday edition. Hope everybody had a joyous Easter and filled up on cheesy potatoes and ham and the whole deal, pies and cakes. And I had a Cadbury cream egg omelet, 12 egg omelet to start the day. It was a beautiful weekend in southeastern Wisconsin, one of those first truly warm days. And it was Master Sunday, and we had our boy, the big Spaniard, John Rom, putting on the green jacket I made by myself a green jacket with my winnings we'll discuss that the Brewers had a nice weekend too lackluster Saturday but took a series against the Cardinals pivotal early in the year beautiful start for them seven and two the Bucks we know are the one seed we have a little bit more clarity now on the play-in tournament and we'll break down potential first round matchups for the Bucks we do know game one will be on Sunday time TBD let's go on the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. It's time! Yes! The Brewers yes! win! Yes! Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, Gordon 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Wisconsin record breaking run! Morgan, a smash up the middle, face hit the center! Here comes Gomez, around third, a throw, and the Brewers win! Here's the snap. He looks, he throws, it's and there is your Super Bowl dagger. Booker the drive, gets inside, leads in. Backed away and stolen by Holiday. Phoenix has to foul. On a pinnacle foul, throws it down. Swinging fly ball in the right center. Broxton is there. And they're the champions. They have done it. It's been a 50-year journey. Wisconsin, we've got a room at the top of the world tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions. Yeah, you know we're going to start with Master Sunday. What a day. What a day. Let's just play this right out of the gate. Oh, man. I finally cashed one. We finally cashed a major championship ticket. John Rock. I couldn't believe it. He dancing around like this all day with the Shane McMahon shuffle out there. Just a couple of Johns helping each other. A couple of Johns with no room for H's helping each other out on a Sunday afternoon. Real quick as a side note, I was, I'm not going to say let down. I'm not going to say I was let down at Easter. But, you know, sometimes Master Sunday and Easter Sunday coincide. Not every year, but that does happen. It does take away one of the great Sunday naps. One of the great naps of the calendar year is the Masters Sunday nap. And the Masters Saturday nap is pretty good, too. But it's nothing like the Masters Sunday nap. When the Masters is the only thing happening on a Sunday, on a spring Sunday, you always get to drift off around noon, noon 30, 1 o'clock. You're in and out for a couple of hours. You get that stage 5 Masters REM sleep. And when you come to at 3 or 3.30 or 4 o'clock, Then it's go time. It's the final two hours of the Masters, and it's a battle for the green jacket. Well, when Easter is happening on the same day, you're hanging out with family and friends. And we had a great time. We hung out with my wife, Lindsay Spokes, down in Franklin. It was a great day, a lot of great food. But it does kind of take away that Masters Sunday nap, doesn't it? You kind of feel like you lost out a little bit there. But what we didn't lose out on was picking a winner. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. 
plus 1,300 John Rahm when the tournament began. As we discussed on Friday, I've been doing this for years. So really, if you totaled up the amount of times that I bet on a golfer in a major tournament and the amount of times we've lost, this is the first one we've won. If you tallied it all up and you really thought about it, which I try not to do, I try not to think, period. We're probably at a break even. I've been doing this now for five or six years. Every major championship, and sometimes you throw in like the Players' Championship or something like that, or the Ryder Cup when that's happening. You bet on a golfer. I know the Ryder Cup's different, but you bet on a golfer to win the entire tournament, and it's just tough. It's tough to do because the field is so deep, and you end up getting these guys that come out of nowhere, or all of a sudden it's a bad weather day, which we saw. You can't plan on a lot of that stuff. And for that reason, even if you pick the favorite in a golf tournament, it pays a ton. Rory was the favorite at plus 725, and I don't think he even made the weekend, did he? I'm pretty sure he didn't even make the weekend. Maybe he golfed a little bit on Saturday morning because there was a carryover because of how bad the weather was late Friday and early Saturday. But I don't believe Rory even made the cut. That's how tough it is to pick a winner in golf. You could pick the favorite, and he doesn't even make the cut. Has a couple of bad rounds, and he's out. But we got in on the big Spaniard at plus 1,300. The first time I felt really good about it, and during Friday's podcast, we were breaking down the first round where he was in it, tied for first after day one, despite a double bogey on hole one. I thought the whole thing was deep-sixed right there. But he got to seven under after the first day, was tied for first place. But you still never know. There's a lot of golf to be played there. The first time I really started to feel optimistic about him actually winning was probably Saturday morning. Lindsay and I were watching the carryover second round very early on Saturday with the rain and the wind and all that kind of stuff on Saturday morning at the Masters. And Tiger was finishing his second round. Tiger, (laughs) real quick, you just know Tiger did not want to make that cut. He's going to tell you he wanted to make that cut. But he had the look of a man who the cut was plus two or was going to be plus two, and he was at plus one. Then he had a bogey, and he was sitting right on the cut line at plus two. And on 18, he had a couple of bad shots and bogeyed, and he was plus three. You just know, even though it would have ended his streak of making the cuts, for how miserable the weather was and how in pain he looked, not with his knee injury apparently, but with that plantar fasciitis or whatever that's called, plantar fascia, I didn't realize that that's something he's been dealing with too. He looked so cold and wet and miserable and in pain. When he missed that shot on 18 and got to plus three and it looked like he was not going to make the cut, you have to feel in his soul, he was thinking, thank the good Lord on the day before his resurrection, thank little eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus that I can just go into the locker room get in a plane and go home and relax for the rest of the weekend. And then his buddy, Justin Thomas, bogeyed, and that set the cut line to plus three. So Tiger probably getting ready to get in the car and go home. They knock on his door and say, hey, guess what? Good news. You made the cut. You get to go back out and play 18 holes of golf after you just played five in the cold wind rain. Oh, good. I'm so excited. But we were watching that on Saturday morning, and then after they wrapped up round two, and there was a break before round three, there was just a little vignette about John Rahm and how John Rahm, who's a Spaniard, his idol was Seve Ballesteros, five-time major champion, two-time Masters champion. I believe he won both in the early 80s, I want to say, but he is a Spaniard too. Obviously, somebody of Spanish descent you're going to look up to, one of the great Spanish golfers of all time. Well, it was Seve's birthday. He passed away really young, mid-50s. And it would have been Seve's birthday on Sunday, on Master Sunday, on April 9th. April 9th was Seve Ballesteros' birthday. 
When I heard that storyline, and I know that doesn't really have an impact on what happens on the golf course or how a tournament is won or how a game is won, but in a different way it does. <laughs> in a different and more real way, it absolutely has an effect. It's the storyline effect. It's the narrative, the Vince McMahon effect. When I heard that his idol would have had a birthday on the day where he could have won his first green jacket and the fact that he was already in second place, I thought, oh, boy, that storyline is just delightful enough to eat. Come on. That has to happen now. When they brought that up, I thought, oh, boy, I think I've got a real chance here. And we got to Sunday, and he was down early. But Brooks Kepka, I was watching with my father-in-law, who's a huge golf fan, and we were talking about the final round, and he was hinting that, well, maybe Brooks could be in some trouble here because Brooks is now a live golfer, and they only do 54 holes. They only golf Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I don't know how the cuts work at live golf, but they only play 54 holes, not 72, like every every PGA Tour-sanctioned event. And he said, my father-in-law, Jerry, said, well, we'll see if he can hang together here because he's not used to playing 72 anymore. And I'll be damned if he didn't look like he was falling apart and getting a little bit tired out there once he got past the 54 holes that he's now used to golfing. He fell off. Phil Mickelson made a hard push. It was great to see him. Once the course dried out and they got to better conditions on Sunday, they started tearing that course apart. Mickelson had the hard charge at the end to get to eight under. He was hoping somebody would slip back to him and maybe get into a playoff. Kepka fell apart down the stretch. The wheels just came off. Rom was steady, and that's one of his best attributes. He's just a steady golfer. That's why he is one of the guys people bet on to win tournaments because he's very steady. His short game's good. He's been good with the putter, and he just didn't make any mistakes. He made a couple of nice shots, but he ultimately just didn't make any mistakes. And once they got to 14 or 15 or whatever, amen corner, and he had a four-stroke lead, and the lead was over Mickelson. It wasn't even over Kepka anymore. It was over Mickelson, who his day was done. I thought, oh, my God, this is going to cash. This ticket is going to cash. And sure enough, he took it home. The text exchange I have with all my best buddies is just a sequence of everybody going, Rom. Rom's a great name to type out like that or chant like that. Rom. Rom, 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 Rom. That's what all of the text exchanges are as we were headed down the stretch run. It looked like he was going to seal that thing up for sure. And he did at plus 1,300. That is, uh, I can't get into specifics here for tax purposes. <laughs> Betting the way I bet is not exactly street legal. I guess you could say, oh, I guess I could say I bet at Pato. Pato's got a sports book now. That's where I laid my bet down. No, I didn't do it there. I have not been there yet. We had a listener uh, to B93 text the station or email maybe. When they opened that a few weeks ago, the sports book at Pottawatomie, there's been a sports book open at Oneida Casino in Green Bay for a while. I want to say almost four or five months. They might have been open during football season. But Pato just opened their auxiliary sports book. The actual one that they're going to make their permanent sports book is not done yet, but they opened uh, one that's kind of a work in progress. And it opened a few weeks ago. And because we talk gambling so much on the air, which you should really do on a family-friendly morning show, Tune in, kids. We learn about math. Everybody's learning about math out there. But somebody had emailed and said, oh, you must be excited. Pato's opening a sports book. And I said, yeah, I guess maybe I'll go there at some point on an NFL Sunday just to be surrounded by the community of degenerates. Some people go to church. I go to the sports book. Like-minded people. I may want to check it out for that purpose, just to be around people that have money on the games during an NFL Sunday. And I'm assuming they have a gigantic TV setup or a sets of TVs where every game is on and every angle of every game is on. That might be neat to take part in, but I'm not leaving my bookie. <laughs> no, no degenerate gambler that has a guy, and I have a guy, 
no degenerate gambler that has a guy is going to forego that to do it on the up and up at Pato or do it on the up and up at Oneida. First of all, if you win, if I were to bet on Rom at Pottawatomie, do they not take a cut of that? Is there not a tax taken out right away? I win so rarely. You think I'm paying taxes when I actually win? <laughs> it doesn't happen enough. If I won a lot, maybe. But for how rarely most degenerate gamblers win, you think I'm giving 20% to the government? I think not. You would be incorrect, sir. But that's a part of it, and I've just been with this guy for so long. We've been through so many things together. We've been through so many ups and downs and nondescript envelopes with cash, mainly from me to him. But we've been through a lot together, one of the most solid relationships of my life. If I didn't bet for three or four days in a row or a week in a row, I don't want to make it sound like I'm too big of a degenerate here. I'm exaggerating for emphasis, Mom. Relax. Don't freak out. But if I didn't lay down a bet for seven, eight, nine, ten days in a row, he would be the first person to check on me. He would be the first person looking for proof of life. You okay? You okay, man? He would probably send somebody to the house. And not for <laughs> not to collect money, but to check on my well-being. He's one of the most solid relationships that I have going. I'm not going to give that up in the name of a sports book. But we could say maybe I gave it. We put the bet down in a sports book for legality purposes. We're not going to get into specifics of how much we won, but it's the second biggest payday I've ever gotten and uh, on a sports bet. Man, plus thirteen hundred. I couldn't believe you actually took it home. All right. So when is when is the next major? <laughs> I gotta let this ride. It's like Kramer. You gotta let it ride. <laughs> you gotta let it go. Is the next one the PGA Championship right away? I will never get used to the PGA Championship being in May. I'm pretty sure it is. We'll Google it real time here instead of being prepared. I had the Shane McMahon thing ready. That's the one thing I had ready. PGA Championship 2023. I'm so accustomed to that being at the end of August. That's the normally the last major. And when it's been at Whistling Straits over the years, you kind of look forward to that in August. Yeah, it's May. That's the next one. PGA Championship in May at Oak Hill East Course. That's where it's going to be. That is the next major we'll lay some money down on. Double down on Rom, maybe. All right, we'll go over to the Brewers. Nice weekend for them. On Friday, we talked about how important these division series are because there's less of them. In every other year other than this year, you play your division rivals 18 times. So if you lose a series early in the year, it's not the end of the world. You're going to face this team in at least five or six more series. But now, with the new schedule this year, which I do like, where every team is going to play everybody at least once, the Brewers are in Seattle. I can't even tell you the last time they played in Seattle. I'm sure someone will say on Bally Sports when they open that broadcast at the end of this three-city, ten-game trip. I like that, though. I like that they're mixing it up, and you're seeing a lot of different opponents at AmFam Field. You're seeing the Brewers play in a lot of different places now as everybody's playing everyone. But that also means the division matchups, there are just less of them. There are only 13 instead of 18. That puts a greater importance on these division matchups. I don't care when they are, whether it's early April, whether it's the middle of June, and of course in September, things always seem to seem more important once you hit the stretch run. But they're big, and it's big to win a series, and they did just that. They took care of business on Friday, a 4 to nothing win. Willie Adamas hit his first home run. He got to Don the Cheesehead for the first time. Outstanding start from Woodruff. They kind of got after Jack Flaherty. Not a ton, but they did enough, obviously, to win, and Flaherty is a guy who has had a mastery over the Brewers over his time in St. Louis. Just one of those guys like Wainwright and Carpenter years ago. It seemed like he had taken the baton as a guy that every time he faced the Brewers, they couldn't touch him. Well, they did enough, and Woodruff was spectacular, and the bullpen again was locked down. They get the win on Friday. Saturday was a clunker. Eric Lauer, his first couple starts haven't been great. It wasn't terrible in Chicago. Just doesn't seem to have the zip on his fastball. He did talk about that at the end of the game on Saturday as the Brewers lost 6-0 on Saturday. 
And there's always concern when you have a starting pitcher who you're used to seeing throwing 93, 94 miles an hour, and he's only throwing 90 or 91. Freddie Peralta, it's always a concern when you see that, especially with the arm injuries. Now, how good was he on Sunday? We'll talk about that in a second. But you know what I mean? When you see a starting pitcher three or four miles per hour lower on their fastball than they typically are, you do start to get worried about shoulder issues or elbow issues. He just said it's a mechanics thing. It's finishing his pitches. He's got to get better at finishing his pitches. He didn't seem worried about it at all. I'm sure he'll be fine. As we talked about with Burns, you know, early in the year, you have a couple of bad starts, and the ERA is sitting at 9 or 10. It's easy for fans to get panicky. He'll be okay. He was pretty good at Wrigley in that win. What was that, on the Saturday of opening weekend or the Sunday of opening weekend? But he didn't have it. It didn't matter anyway. The Brewers couldn't score. Jordan Montgomery, who, like Jack Flaherty, owned the Brewers down the stretch run last year when they picked him up from New York for basically nothing. The Cardinals, I just some of the dark magic that happens there, they get Jordan Montgomery basically for free. They got Nolan Arenado basically for free. The first year Nolan Arenado was in St. Louis, Colorado was paying his entire salary that year. What were the Rockies doing there? You give up a guy who's going to be a certain Hall of Famer, probably first ballot. He may be a unanimous entry into the Hall of Fame with how good he's been. Power-hitting third baseman, gold-glove third baseman, and they just gave him away. But Jordan Montgomery got the win against the Brewers on Saturday. The biggest part about Saturday was the Giannis Brewer jersey. Does anybody out there have one? We didn't go on Saturday. The first 30,000 in attendance, and it was a straight-up sellout on Saturday, 44,000 or whatever it was. The first 30,000 got those Giannis jerseys. I was seeing pictures on Twitter that looked like the Field of Dreams line at the end of that movie where they had to be. They were in the parking lot. They were probably thousands of people deep trying to get in and get one of those Giannis jerseys. I've never seen lines like that. But if anybody out there has one that they want to sell, I happen to have come into a little bit of money recently. I would be willing to pay for access to one of those extra-large Giannis jerseys. From what I understood, they were extra-larges or mediums. So I'd have to go XL probably. But that was very funny on Saturday. If you loaded up Twitter, what time was the game? 6 o'clock at 4.30. At 4.15, people were lining up to try to get that jersey. And then on Sunday for the rubber match, Freddie Peralta, two starts into the year. He looks outstanding. Now his velocity is up, whereas Lowers is down. Fastball, Freddie's got it cooking. He's a guy who normally rides in that 91, 92 miles per hour, which does make it amazing. The amount of swing and miss stuff that he has and the amount of swings and misses and strikeouts he gets, you would think he has an overpowering fastball, but he does not. It's got to be deceptive the way that he throws it or how he hides the ball when he throws it. I know he throws it high in the zone a lot. I don't know, but he's not a guy who's throwing blinding speed. Sunday he was, 95 or 96 pretty consistently, but he's a few ticks up on the fastball, whereas Lauer is down. Peralta had that uneven year last year. He was so good in 2021 like the entire staff was. He was undermined a bit by injuries last year. Uneven year, but his first two starts have looked as good as we've seen. Freddie only gave up one run. You had the home run from Adamas, his second of the weekend. Yelly went deep and had three hits. I'm not going to say he's back. Don't say he's back, but maybe. I don't know. Anytime he has a good day like that. And Yelly's one of those guys where even though he doesn't make contact the way he did in his MVP year or the year after that in 2019, when he does connect on a home run, It's just one of those memory drips where you remember the way that looked in 2018 or 2019. It's such a pure swing when he makes contact. It's hard not to fall in love with it again every time he hits one. He's only hitting 13 or 14 a year now as opposed to 35 or 40 or whatever he hit in 2019, 44 before he got hurt in the last month of the year. Uh, When he hits one, it's hard not to think, ooh, maybe. 
three a day yesterday and a home run. And Peralta was great. And the bullpen hasn't given up a run yet. Knock on wood if you want. They're going to give up runs eventually. There's no way you're going to mush that. But we discussed at the beginning of the year, that was sort of a question mark for this team. Not so much the offense, which you figured at some point would put some runs on the board, even though they, again, last year did not hit for a lot of contact toward the end of the year and did struggle to score runs. But you hoped with the young guys coming up and maybe a reset and no shift and the pitch clock, that would all help the offense. The strength of this team is the starting rotation. But at the beginning of the year, you did kind of wonder who are going to be the guys in front of Devin Williams so far, Peter Strzelecki's been very good. Matt Bush struggled a bit yesterday, but got off the hook. He lowered the bases with nobody out, but then he got two outs. And then Hobie Milner, who's been outstanding, he came on and got the final out of that inning. Bases loaded, nobody out in that eighth inning for the Cardinals, and they didn't score a run. The bullpen has not given up a run yet, I'm pretty sure. It's been an interesting collection of guys, but so far, so good. Gus Varland is on that list. So far, they've been able to get the job done and get this team to the back end to Devin Williams to get a lot of wins on the year. They are 7-2. and two. They've had two series against division rivals. They've won them both, 2-1 to one against the Cubs, 2-1 to one against the Cardinals. Now they hit the road for the West, the West Coast, the dreaded West Coast. As I get older, these games are just tough to stomach with the 8.40 start times and the 9 o'clock start times. I remember back in college, and we're going back 20 years ago now. Feels like five. It was like five, seven short years ago. But I always think back to in college, we loved when the Brewers were on the West Coast because you were generally napping at 7 p.m., resting up for the night. And then you'd start to pregame a little bit and play some cards at 9 or 9.30 or 10 o'clock. At midnight, you'd head down to the bars. But for that reason, we loved having West Coast games because when you were starting your night at 9 or 9.15, it was the beginning of the game, and you could watch the game. It was something to watch at the bar. It was always on the background. We loved when they were on the West Coast. It's a totally different world when you're getting a bit older and you're pushing 40. I was telling my wife after they won on Sunday, I said, well, I guess we'll see this team again on Wednesday afternoon because they play 240 on Wednesday. But they start a three-city, 10-game West Coast trip. Tough trip. They are at Arizona tonight. Tonight, tomorrow, and Wednesday afternoon. Yeah, 840 tonight, 840 tomorrow, 240. We'll see them on Wednesday. 240 on Wednesday. And then they go right to San Diego. 840 on Thursday. 840 on Friday. Maybe I'll see five innings there. 305 on Saturday. That's a beautiful start time. 310 on Sunday. That's great. And then they wrap it up Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Next week, no days off on this trip. At Seattle, 840 on Monday and Tuesday, 310 next week, Wednesday. 10-game trip. Look, you want to win every game. You want to be 10-0. Realistically, if you can go 5-5 five and five on this, these are pretty good teams. Arizona is 6-4 and four to begin the year. Tonight, it's Wade Miley versus Zach Gallen. Gallen had a bad start to begin the year, but he was a Cy Young guy last year, top five or top six or seven in the Cy Young voting. You have to imagine he's going to have a bounce-back start. Wade Miley was great in his first start for Milwaukee. He'll make his second start since coming back tonight. But that's a tough pitching matchup. And then they've got, what is this guy's first name? He had the Brewers transfixed a few times last year. Merrill Kelly, who was a big starter for Team USA in the World Baseball Classic. He'll go for the Diamondbacks tomorrow against Corbin Burns. Hopefully we see more of what we expect to see from Corbin Burns in his third start. You got Madison Bumgarner going for the Diamondbacks. Not what he used to be, but... A crafty vet at this point in his career taking on Woodruff on Wednesday afternoon. These are going to be tough matchups. The Padres are considered an NL West 
contender to win that division from L.A. They are thought to be an NL pennant contender, and Seattle's coming off of a playoff run last year. They're expecting the same thing this year. They're off to a bit of a slow start at 4-6. and six. This is going to be a difficult road trip. You never want to set the bar low, but if they come out of this and they're 5-5 five and five or 6-4, and four would be great. A winning 10-game trip would be tremendous. But if you get out of this 5-5, five and five, you feel pretty good about that. 8.41st pitch tonight, Wade Miley again on the hill taking on Zach Gallen. I didn't realize there isn't a day off in here. Typically, you go three city, ten games. You get a day off. Am I missing a day off? No. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yeah, they don't have a day off until next week, Thursday, before they have the Red Sox in AmFam Field in a couple of weekends on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and late April. We are getting close to the L.A. Angels coming to town. See, this is the part of the new scheduling I love. You're seeing a lot of different teams. I don't know that we – I know we haven't seen Otani in Milwaukee. I don't know if Trout was in L.A. the last time the Angels were in town. We're talking eight years ago now. He probably was a young player very early in his career. But that's a game – or that's a weekend. I'm going to try to get to every game. That's the last weekend in April. The Angels at AmFam Field to see Trout and Otani. Hopefully Otani pitches one of those games, but you just don't get those chances to see those guys all that much. But with the new scheduling now, you'll get that chance more often. They'll be in L.A. then next year before they're back in a couple of years. But, yeah, that's the series I want to go to, at least a game, hopefully two, and maybe even the whole series. That's not that far off at the end of the month. All right, we'll wrap up on the Bucks. They went full rest. We discussed that on Friday. Will they do the rest versus rust thing? And they are going to deal with whatever rust they have to deal with once they get to the playoffs on Sunday. We do know game one is on Sunday. Time is TBD, but game one will be Sunday at Pfizer Forum. We have a little more clarity on the play-in tournament. It gets started on Tuesday. On the Eastern Conference side, the Hawks and Heat are battling for the 7 seed. That's the 7-8 matchup. And on the Western Conference side, the Timberwolves. What a weird day they had if you were on Twitter at all. They had a a straight-up brawl in one of their timeouts. Rudy Gobert and Kyle Anderson. I mean, throwing fisticuffs, 30-style boxing. That can't be good. But they take on the Lakers in L.A. and LeBron is back. Boy, I'll tell you what. You could parlay if you want to do a gambling pick. I would just, on Tuesday, I would parlay the Heat and the Lakers' money line. They're both five-point favorites. Or LA's six-point favorites, Miami's five-point favorites. If you just parlayed the outright money line there that they both win, you probably pay a little more than one-to-one. I'm probably gonna, I'm, I'll probably do that. But the Hawks and Heat are first up on Tuesday, 6.30. The winner of that game is the seventh seed. That means the winner of that game will take on the Celtics. We're hoping for the Heat there. The Heat aren't what they were last year. The Heat were the one seed last year, were they not? The Heat were the one, Celtics were the two, and the Bucks were the three seed last year. Clearly, they're not that kind of a team this year, but they still have Bam Adebayo, and they still have Jimmy Butler, and a lot of those players that were the one seed last year, they are still there. Eric Spolstra, in my opinion, is one of the best coaches, if not the best coach in the NBA for a lot of reasons. You want the Heat to win that game if you're a Bucks fan because you want the Celtics to have to deal with the Heat the Heat can probably beat Boston two games, maybe. They'll beat them at least once, and they could beat them two times. You want the Celtics to have to go through the toughest ringer that they can go through, and that would start with a first-round matchup with Miami. If it ends up being Hawks and Celtics, I would expect the Celtics to sweep that series. You want the Heat to win that game to put the Celtics in the toughest possible position at the beginning of the playoffs. That's the first game. Then Timberwolves and Lakers that night. Yeah, I love the Heat-Laker parlay there. Then on Wednesday, it's the 9-10 matchup. Bulls and Raptors. I would guess the Raptors are going to win that. On the Western Conference side of things, Thunder and Pelicans. I have no read on that game whatsoever. But then the winner or the loser of Tuesday's game, the Heat or the Hawks, will take on the winner of Wednesday's game, the Bulls or the Raptors. And then the winner of that game, which would be on Friday, 
will be heading to Milwaukee for game one of the Eastern Conference playoffs on Sunday. I would guess afternoon because they're going to be the 1-8 matchup. I don't know if that's going to be a, a matchup that you're going to put in prime time. I would think Clippers-Suns on Sunday will be prime time. Yeah, I think we're probably looking at about 2 o'clock start time on Sunday. We'll see when the official time comes out. But that's how things break down. Winner or loser of the Heat and Hawks matchup will take on the winner of the Raptors-Bulls matchup on Friday. Winner of that game will be headed to Milwaukee. I still think the Bulls is the team that we want to see just because of the way they handled the Bulls without Giannis and without Middleton. And the Bulls are fully healthy and it appeared to be trying to win on Wednesday. And the Bucks, that was last week, and the Bucks still won that game by 13 points, 105 to 92. They don't have the offensive firepower. The Raptors are always going to scare Bucks fans a little bit because of the playoff history against Toronto in 2019 and in 2017, one of the first Giannis playoff years. They won those early games in Toronto and then got swept after that. The history there isn't good. They still have some of those characters from the 2019 team, Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam, and they've got some of those guys. They're not what they were then, and I'm not worried that the Bucs would lose a series to any of these teams. None of these teams are going to be able to beat the Bucs four times in seven games, barring some major injury to Milwaukee. You also have to throw that caveat in there. But I just don't see any way any team beats the Bucs four times in seven games with that cast of teams. But the Raptors, because of the past, <laughs> haunts you a little bit. And the Hawks, I don't know. You know, it's a rematch of the 2021 Eastern Conference Finals. They Two teams have gone in different directions. The Bucs have stayed solidly at the top of the East since then. And for whatever reason, the Hawks just haven't. And they haven't lost a lot of those guys. That's pretty much the same team. And they picked up DeJounte Murray from the Spurs in the offseason, a 20-point scorer. You thought that would give them an added boost with Trey Young and that dynamic backcourt. Just hasn't worked out. And they've got a new coach. They fired Nate McMillan, Quinn Snyder, the former Jazz coach, the head coach now. But a lot of those players that were in the Eastern Conference Finals in 2021, Capella and Trey Young and who's their center, John Collins, they've got a lot of those guys still there. I still don't think they'd give the Bucks too big of an issue if you end up playing the Hawks. And then what's the other team? The Heat. I just don't want to deal with them. You just you want the Heat to be going to Boston for game one on Sunday. I want the Heat to have to go through Miami, or I want the Celtics to have to go through Miami and have to go through Philly just to get to the Eastern Conference Finals and Milwaukee. But we'll know Friday night who the Bucks will be have coming to Pfizer Forum on Sunday. And yeah, there's a chance you're gonna have some rust on Sunday for the first quarter, the first half. I don't know that they're going to give away a game because of rust, but prepare yourself if you're a Bucks fan. Prepare yourself. Steal your mind for playoff basketball A, which is a slower game. It's a knockdown, drag them out fight. Points are hard to come by. It's not quite what you see in the regular season. you got to remember back to 2021 and a little bit from last year, too, of how difficult these matchups are and how anguishing they are to watch. But get yourself ready for that, and then just prepare yourself now for a lot of missed shots in that first quarter on Sunday and maybe even in the second quarter. Don't panic if they're down by 10 or 15 early. When you've got a team that's playing this week and playing multiple games this week coming into Milwaukee on Sunday, there's a good chance the Bucs could be in a hole early. They'll be okay. But prepare yourself mentally for that now so you're not freaking out on Sunday afternoon. That'll do it for us here on your Monday. We'll get back after it on Friday. We'll know what the game is then that will be on Friday night where the winner will take on the Bucks in game one. We'll catch up. I'll be catching up with you on the West Coast. 
We'll catch up with the Brewers, see where they're at at about the three-quarter pole or the quarter pole of their West Coast trip. We'll discuss that on Friday. I don't anticipate any Aaron Rodgers Packers news. You see Odell Beckham sign in Baltimore, though. Oh, Aaron Rodgers was so sure, and the Jets were so sure that he was going to come to New York as soon as that deal got solidified, and he signed a one-year $18 million deal. That's a gamble by Baltimore especially considering they're not going to have Lamar, are they? I have seen some Packer fans float out. All right, well, Odell's in Baltimore now. Should we just do Aaron Rodgers for Lamar? Will The Packers will throw in their first-round pick with Aaron Rodgers and get Lamar Jackson? It's not going to happen. But everybody was so certain that they were going to sign all of his friends from Green Bay, and then Odell, who he's wanted for two or three years now, they were going to bring him in, and people want to play with Aaron Rodgers. Well, <laughs> $18 million did a lot of talking for Odell as he goes to Baltimore. But the Jets' OTAs are up. They start one week from today. The first OTAs for the Jets, not that Rodgers was going to be there for those, but they are one week from today, April 17th. We'll see if there's any movement on that. We'll chat with you Friday morning. Have a good work week.